God, I ask that you would create in us a clean heart. We ask that you would open our lips, that our mouths may give you the glory and praise that you deserve. We ask that in due time, as we journey towards resurrection, that this season you would restore the joy of our salvation in ways in which we have never experienced. Would you open our hearts to see your heart for us? As we turn to you, delight us in your mercy as you turn to us. It's in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. I can walk out on the water. Nice. I grew up in a tradition that didn't. This is good because when I prepare my sermons, I pace and pray. And then whenever I give them, I feel like I'm anchored to the ground. So this is going to be natural. You might get a creak in your neck, but that's okay. Whenever I uh, grew up, we didn't practice Lent. We uh, had Easter Sunday and we had Christmas. We were Pentecostal, so we for sure had Pentecost Sunday. Because Pentecostals have to do that. But Lent, we never did. And so... A year ago, I heard Bishop Philip Jones, who leads the Anglican Mission, if you know him, he said, you can summarize Lent in one word, and that word is honesty. And when he said that, this non-denominational Pentecostal church kid, all the lights went on. Because I'd seen Roman Catholics practice Lent, I'd seen Lutheran, I've seen all these people practice Lent, but I never was invited into the heart behind what it means. And so for Philip Jones to say, honesty, that's what it is. That made sense to me last year, and that kind of began my heart in understanding this. So today's Ash Wednesday, and and Lent begins quietly with ashes. There's this drama that we're invited to walk in, which is the passion of Christ. But it begins not with hoopla or hype or hysteria or loud noises. Fire, you can hear fire, right? Fire roars, but ashes are quiet. And so Lent begins on Ash Wednesday right now. That's why you're here. And it's a quiet beginning to this amazing journey with Jesus. So I would say Lent is honesty. And Ash Wednesday, I would summarize in the word return. Because we're returning to God. This is essentially the opposite of what Adam and Eve did in the garden. God creates them. And then God has this habit, which I think was so cool. He shows up at their door every night to hang out. And they go for a stroll in the cool of the the evening. How cool would that be? That's, man, that's what we lost. And in between this time in which God is gone, Adam and Eve sin, and they are full of shame and guilt, and they start to cover themselves, so they take leaves and make the biblical beginnings of Hanes and Fruit of the Loom and make underwear to cover themselves. It's Ash Wednesday, but you can still laugh. It's okay. <laughs> So they hide, and they go into the bushes. I'm going to go deeper. Test, test the water out here. Brad, you thought you could get away from me. You can't. I tried. 
Let's try it from out here. So Adam and Eve are hiding in the bushes, and God comes, and he says, Adam, where are you? Not because he's lost them. He's God. And if you, I mean, there's only two humans on earth. Adam, where are you? And what I love about that question that God gives in the garden is it reveals his heart towards us. He gives an invitation to come clean. That's what's behind the question, where are you? So, in, in other words, he's, he's inviting them to return to home, to come back home. But they're scared. They're in the bushes. They're not honest about what they've done. So before there's a Lent and before there's an Ash Wednesday, God, in the question, where are you, invites Adam and Eve to be honest and to return. That's what Ash Wednesday is about. Now, there's um, another story where this happens, and it's in 2 Samuel. The people elect for a king, Saul. He's handsome and tall strong. Man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. So they elect Saul as their first king, or as the king that they first chose, and uh, it didn't work out very well. God chose David because of his heart. So David's this, you know, kid out in the field no one thought much about. They'd even think to bring him to the prophet. But God says, I want that guy to be your king because of his heart. And, and then through, most of you probably know the story, through this controversial drama, David becomes king of Israel. Anointed, like God said, I want you to lead my people. What an honor. Then you get to 2 Samuel. And as king, David's supposed to be out in battle. But he's not. He's in a sense, abdicated his responsibility and his calling. He's not doing what God's called him to do. God called him to be king, to be with his people, and to lead it victoriously, and he's not. He let everyone go do the job. He stayed back. So he's not doing what God's called him to do. Then he goes to the rooftop at the time where the women are bathing. David's not an idiot. He's king. And he knows what he's doing. It's premeditated pornography. This king who has a heart after God, premeditated pornography, goes up there, sees Bathsheba, says, I want that. He has the means. He's the king. And the verse in 2 Samuel 11.4 says he took her. Now, often when the story's told, it's said, David had an affair with Bathsheba. That would assume that there was a romantic relationship. But but verse 4 says he took her. You know what we call that today? Rape. This king who has a heart after God, who God has chosen, is not doing what God called him to do, engaged in premeditated pornography, and is now raped the wife of one of his best soldiers. And then she gets pregnant. 
And so he arranges for the murder of her husband to cover it up. This is David, the king of Israel, the one God said, I want him to be your leader. Oh, my goodness. Now, that's all surprising. The most surprising thing to me in the story, he successfully covers it up. Nobody knows. He's on top. He's the one in charge. He's a very successful king. He's not doing his job. Involved in pornography. She raped a woman. She killed her husband and covered up. No one knows. He's been able to get in the bush and cover his shame and guilt and sin very successfully. But because God is a God of invitation and God is a God of honesty, he sends the prophet Nathan to him. If I was Nathan, I'd be scared because this is like a massive cover-up. Nathan comes to David and wisdom tells him this parable mirroring the events that David was engaged in and he gets David. David doesn't make the connection and at the end of the parable, David stands up and in righteous indignation says, this man ought to be punished and, and done with and, David, or, and Nathan says, David, you the man. What's David going to do in 2 Samuel? Is he going to continue the cover-up and add Nathan to the list right under Uriah? He could have had Nathan killed right then and there. But David does what Adam and Eve eventually do. He comes out of the bush. And he has his version of an Ash Wednesday. He says, Lord, this is what I've done. This is where I'm at. This is what I'm addicted to. This is what I've been taking delight in. This is what I've been hiding. I'm returning to you. And that's what David does. And Nathan, in a few verses, says, God's forgiven you and has removed your sin. Now, there's still some consequences to deal with on earth, but him and God are now cool. Now, you can tell a lot about the art someone creates. And we have this gift that David has given us in Psalm 51. It is the art that David creates very publicly after what he had done with Bathsheba. I'm going to read it to you. And if you'd like, you can close your eyes and just take, remember, this is from David, the king's not doing his job, involved in pornography, guilty of rape and murder. And this is him coming out of the bushes. Have mercy on me, O God. According to your steadfast love, According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you have I sinned 
and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins, and blot out all my iniquities. This is one of my favorite prayers in the scripture. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O oh God, you will not despise. Do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then will you delight in right sacrifices and burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then bowls will be offered on your altar. great insight from a king who has committed the moral failures of all moral failures and has covered it up. But he did what the invitation is for us to do. The promise in 1 John 1, 9, if you confess your sins, he is faithful to not only forgive you, but to cleanse you. Create in me a clean heart. Don't just forgive the heart, but give me a new one. I love that. So that's the invitation today. To turn to God. And what you'll find out, and it will be a delight in the midst of this somber space, is that as you turn to God, He is turning to you not in judgment, but in mercy. Isn't that good? Father, thank you for your heart. Thank you for your God that says, where are you? We're here, Lord. We want to be honest and we want to return to you. We desire your heart. We've not walked in your ways. We've not delighted in your will. And we need your help. Come Holy Spirit. Amen.